When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Bleacher Connection. I'm Ken. And I'm Trevor. And on this episode, we're going to kind of give our take on a possibly controversial that's offside topic when we begin our uh, off-season breakdown of a couple of teams, kind of going to go Canada and U.S. Uh, we're going to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins. Uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, things you'd like to hear, you can hit us up on uh, social media, Twitter. I'm the BleacherCon2. And I'm the BleacherCon1. We have our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor. And as always, we are on the Unhinged Network. And uh, thanks for listening in. Trevor, I'm going to kind of throw it to you. What caught your eye this week in sports news? What caught my eye is teams who prioritize winning over character. And what do I mean by that? I mean pretty much signing criminals. And who am I referring to? None other than Antonio Brown. I have a major issue with what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done here. We have a guy who's got multiple lawsuits going on right now. He's He was sued by a, a female trainer for sexual assault. He's got like domestic violence charges. And this is the second time an NFL team in the last year and a half has brought him back to play. And I have a huge problem with teams who choose the on the, the product on the field is more important than the character off the field. It's just not right, Ken. Yeah, I I, I had an issue with that too because I I mean I, I'm a Seahawks fan. I that's who I follow, and there was rumors that they were looking to potentially bring him in. I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that. Antonio Brown could be a Seahawk and potentially the, the image isn't good. I don't think anyone, you know, that has ongoing things like that should be playing. Now to say that people who have made mistakes in the past can't learn from it. I mean, obviously they do. People deserve to get another chance down the road if they've shown that they've made changes to the problems in the past, but nothing seems to be changing with Antonio Brown. It's just the same issue time after time. I would have to agree. There's nothing in recent history that says Antonio Brown has learned any lessons. And unfortunately, in the world of sports, Antonio Brown isn't the only example of this in, to look to. Like, as in the last few years, there's been Roberto Osuna in Major League Baseball, who the Toronto Blue Jays couldn't wait to get rid of him over his domestic violence charges. And then there's Kareem Hunt, who the Kansas City Chiefs cut ties with him. And lo and behold, the Cleveland Browns swoop in and give him another opportunity opportunity and this has been a problem in sports for years dating back to guys like Carl Malone and Ray Lewis it's at what point does your organization take a black eye over some of these guys opposed to they did they prioritize winning and I just I can't stand it yeah it winning at all costs is one thing I mean it, it's almost rare where you see it happen the right way. Um, I think you had mentioned off air to me, Voinov. He he got released by the Kings and he hasn't made it back to the NHL. Um, Ray Rice is another one who had his, he, he didn't get signed. So I kind of question why do they take a stance 
with some players and not on the overall broad all of them right like, and i think the the leagues should take a bigger stand against it why does the nfl need to have antonio brown in it why did the nba have to have carl malone in it or there's a long list of athletes who've been charged with domestic abuse and they still play how do the leagues allow this this is not a good look it's it's criminal. It's literally criminal. In the in the normal working world, criminals don't get get to keep their jobs. So why is the sporting world different? I I just don't understand it. It's it's disturbing. Yeah, and I think for you know you kind of I've always kind of had the thought process of if you're a, if you're a young athlete, a kid growing up, and you want to be you know you always want to be like Mike. You know, everyone want to be the next Jordan, but be that athlete that you admire in the sport, play like them on the field, but don't necessarily try and is always not the best example to try and be off field or off the playing surface. Um, Cause they say sometimes the character isn't there. There's some good characters in all sports leagues. And then there are some horrible ones. Everybody prioritizes character and you need it to win. And that's the right type of character. Unfortunately, what, you and I are discussing right now is the wrong type of character. And that's a, a negative black eye on the sports community. And I also believe it's an, it's a black eye right now for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in my opinion, giving Antonio Brown another chance. It's, it's not right. And you know, who is Tom Brady now? This is the second time in the last year that he's gone and essentially recruited his team to bring in Antonio Brown. And I love Tom Brady, but he's wrong. And I think Bill Belichick had it right the first time when they couldn't wait to get rid of this guy last year. And is the same thing just going to happen again now in Tampa Bay? we shall see yeah i mean antonio brown's issues prior to getting released by the patriots were the steelers got tired of his antics i mean he live streamed his coach after a was it was a playoff game where he's talking about the team they just beat and you know going into the details of next week and he's sitting there live streaming it for everyone to see they got rid of him for that he apparently didn't want to play for the raiders so he took issue with the uh uh helmet he had to wear because he couldn't wear the unapproved helmet he wanted uh i don't get what makes this guy outside of his talent desirable to have on your team i really don't it just seems a huge locker room problem that i don't understand why you wouldn't want to avoid it from my perspective there's nothing desirable about this guy and there's no reason that he should be in the league at all and at this time i'd like to throw it to the one and only west mccauley for his final verdict on on antonio brown after reviewing the play it was determined that the play was Offside! Ken, before we get started, I just wanted to say to anybody, if you want to reach out to us and have your own comments about Antonio Brown, reach out to us on Twitter at the BleacherCon1 and at the BleacherCon2. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Do you support him? Do you agree with us? Let us know. We we really want to know. So please reach out. Yeah, please. We If we get uh, questions, comments, we'll definitely uh, read them out in the next episodes and, and uh, give our feedback. So looking at Toronto... Trevor, what's your, at the Maple Leafs, what's your first thought on the next season for them? What it's going to look like? To be honest, Ken, I'm not sure what the next season's going to look like. Um, all talent, all goals, no defense. I don't know. It's, I'm really unsure as to what I feel about the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Do they have pieces in place that are better than a lot of teams? Absolutely they do. You know, not every team has an Austin Matthews and a Jonathan Tavares and a Mitch Marner, but do they have enough of the supporting cast around them to make them a good 
all around team. I'm, I just don't know the answer to that question at this point. Yeah. I think, I mean, right now, as it's, as, as we sit, their roster is set. They've got 23 players under contract in the NHL. Um, part of the problem is they're, they're over the cap by about a million bucks with the latest sign with the signing of Travis, uh, Dermott. That was a under a million dollar signing for a year for a guy who was in RFA. But the problem is they're going to have to make a move. They are over. So they're going to have to move a million dollars out. Now that's where it becomes difficult because you either have to move. I'm looking at their forwards. You got Spezza at 700,000, Thornton the same, Travis Boyd the same, Wayne Simmons at one and a half. Um, A lot of the guys that are in that range that they need to move are all guys they just brought in. So then you'd look, do you move Zach Hyman, who's 2.25 with one year remaining? Uh, the defense, I, it's tough to say to move any of them because they don't have a lot of, what do you consider recognizable names on defense? Uh, once you get past kind of the top four, and I'm kind of putting Bogosian in that list, but it, it's going to be interesting because they got to make a move to do that. And I don't think it's going to be a move that's going to help make them better. Yeah, the starting at the very top, I'm going to go coaching-wise, Sheldon Keefe. I think he's okay. I'm going to question whether or not some of the forwards that they did bring in, Joe Thornton, for example, he's older than him. Is there going to be that respect there? I hope there is. I don't believe Sheldon Keefe has done anything to not deserve his players' respect. Uh, you've got the GM, Kyle Dubas, who recognized that there are flaws on his team. And I think he's attempted to reconcile some of those flaws this offseason in trading or in signing and bringing in new guys with a little bit more I guess we could call it grit and character and the good type of character let's say Uh, I think when you look at the the management of this team I think they're allowed to spend as much money as they want and they're going to and every year they try to ice the best team possible but when I look at the Maple Leafs I can't not look at the top four forward signs to roughly $42 $42 million in cap and go, there's serious flaws with this team. Yeah. And like you, you mentioned Sheldon Keefe and he was their coach with the Marlies and, you know, obviously did a good job of developing some of those younger players. But the problem was overall last, you know, for the 1920 season that we just finished, they had an average age of 26 and a half going into next season. They aged a year. But what I looked at is I looked at who left through free agency and trades and who came in? So looking at, and then just not to get into the details of all of it quite yet, but out is Andreas uh, Janssen, Kasperi Kapanen in a trade, Evan Rodriguez. He is an in and an out. He was part of the Kapanen trade from Pittsburgh, and then free agency opened up, and he signed back with Pittsburgh. Uh, Tyson Berry left. Kyle Clifford's gone. Cody Cece's gone. In, you got TJ Brody, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, Jimmy Vesey, Aaron Dell and Joe Thornton. Now, where I kind of look at the big part that doesn't make a lot of sense for me with the Maple Leafs is the guys that left were average age of 26. The guys that came in were 32. So you just aged that group of players six years. A coach like Keith is probably going to be a little more better suited to help develop the younger guys. Like you said, with Thornton coming in, Spezza, Simmons, these guys are on the, the older side. How are they going to work with a coach that maybe is more designed for the younger players coming up that he's dealt with before? Um, One of the reasons Sheldon Keefe was brought in was because 
he did work with a lot of these players on the Marlies and the Leafs felt like there was this natural progression of he coached them on the Marlies. Now he can coach them on the Leafs. Well, guess what? Some of those guys aren't playing this year and have been jettisoned out of town. So it seems like one of the key points to having Keith in the first place is completely null and void because the guys like Kasperi Kapanen aren't there anymore. Kapanen was 24 Johnson was 25. Cody CC was 26. Like those are guys on the younger side that probably would have worked well with a coach that could develop them. You know, you see that teams across the league bring up their minor league coach. And I'm not saying the Leafs are in a rebuild, but generally in around those times, they elevate their AHL coach to be their NHL coach so that they can continue working with the younger players and help develop them at that level. Some of these moves to me are just odd. I don't, I, I, didn't really understand them. I can't say that I necessarily am a fan of some of them. I don't know where, you know, a, a capping in for Thornton is necessarily an improvement. When I look at the guys that have left the Leafs this offseason, I think the, the two major ones, in my opinion, are Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen. And through the course of an 82-game season, you could look at those guys for scoring 30, 40, maybe even more goals if there was a little bit of progression. When I look at the guys that they brought back in, I don't see Thornton, Simmons, VC scoring, making up that that those 30 to 40 goals. So... I think they're a little less potent offensively. They may be a little more all around. There might be a little bit more physicality in their bottom six, but does that just then put more pressure on the Austin Matthews and Mitch Martyrs of the world to keep producing at 40, 50 goal, 50 goal seasons and hundred point campaigns. So the, the, the loss of Andres Janssen and Kapanen to me is hasn't been addressed with the additions of Thornton, Simmons, and VC. I just think you've lost production there. And you've also lost team speed. Yeah. And today's NHL is very, very, it's a, it's a young man's fast league. And I feel like they've, they've gone, the Maple Leafs have gone the opposite direction here. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. Is if I'm a speedy offensive forward on an opposing team, I am just chomping at the bit to get at that third and fourth line of the Leafs because looking at it, you're going to have Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza, and Joe Thornton in that bottom six. Two of those are going to be on one line most likely because I don't think you can put a Spezza or Simmons or a Thornton on either one of your top two lines because there's no way they're going to be able to keep up in an offensive zone or trying to get out in the transition. And so that's the part there. Like, And this isn't to say that the... Leafs are going to lose every game or that they're, you know, in a full rebuild. I just, it it very, to me, confusing moves because you mentioned uh, Johnson and Kapanen. Those guys would have been RFAs and they would have been under team control for a few more years at decent dollars. Looking at their forwards after next season, they have six forwards that are all going to be UFAs. And that only saves them $7 million. They don't get any huge cap relief with those six coming off the books. So again, you're looking at these million dollar deals for potentially older players or guys that aren't as offensive as Kapanen and Janssen. Yeah. I really feel like they sold the future short here and really they're almost like it's an all in win now mode in 2021 only, because like you just mentioned, there are six or seven free agent forwards alone next season. 
including all the guys they just brought in. And you you gave up team control and, and controllable contracts in Janssen and Kapanen to bring these guys in for one year. I it I guess if they're if they feel like there's a window for next season to win and they're gonna go all for it, sure, I guess these 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 moves make sense, but I really feel like they've they've sold the future short here and next off season they're going to be looking for the next batches of Joe Thornton's and Wayne Simmons to try to sign for another year. Well, let's take it one more off season after that. Going into the 22-23 season, they will have five, sorry, six forwards under contract. The big four, uh, which is Matthew Tavares, Marner, uh, Nylander, they're going to have Kerfoot and then they're going to have Nick Robertson on a on a RFA expiring deal but it still only gets them a difference of nine million from where they are today at forward I, I, how much of do you think these million dollar deals and the guys they're bringing in at a bit of an older age is a result of the phil kessel trade where they dealt away a lot of draft picks well i think um their prospect cupboard is is quite bare right now and i think that's one of the reasons why the leafs are in a very much win now mode and making some of these moves because, you know, outside of guys like Nick Robertson, who made the lineup in the return to play and Rasmus Sandin, who might be an everyday player this year for the Leafs. There's not a lot of high end prospects out there. Um, They do have Philip Hollander, the Leafs do, and Timothy Lilligren. But outside of those four, that's about it for even, I guess we could call them good prospects in the Leafs organization. So there, there definitely is a shortfall of some high-end prospects, but that's also the price that you pay for being a good team the last few seasons, and the, and the Toronto Maple Leafs have been. And let's not forget, a lot of their high-end prospects are playing on the team. And, I, and by that, I mean Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Like They just made the jump right to the NHL level. So a lot of those draft picks that, that were dealt away in that deal, I think they've come out ahead long-term because it led to guys like Matthews and Marner. But there is a shortfall for sure. Yeah, like I'm looking at the the Kessel trade that what Toronto gave up to get him was a 2010 first round pick, which turned out to be Tyler Sagan, a 2010 second round pick, which turned out with Jared Knight, which didn't really turn out, and a 2011 first round pick, which ended up being Dougie Hamilton. Now, if you put Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton into the into Toronto Blue, you know that's that's not too bad if you can hang on to those guys for the time being, or you know, both of those guys were moved out of Boston, but taking that same trade, they gave up a lot of high draft picks to get to get Kessel. And when they traded him to Pittsburgh, they got Nick Spalling, Kapanen, and they got uh, first and third round picks in 2016. So part of that deal when they gave up a lot of their future was Kapanen was a big piece of that. They uh, they just traded away as well. And that kind of comes in as both Janssen and Kapanen were casualties of their cap. They had to get rid of them to be able to do anything else. So, well, and I think we both can agree that the the construction of the Leafs is suspect because of the top four guys making so much money against the cap. And John Tavares is a phenomenal hockey player, and I would take him on my team. But his contract of eleven million dollars kind of set the tone for then what they had to pay Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner on their their own team. And I think they ended up paying more for both of them than they probably had to on their cap. And they're definitely feeling the brunt of it right now as they're 
they're having to trade away some young up and coming guys who with team control just to kind of slot everybody in. So the construction of the Leafs is definitely flawed. I'll give Dubas some credit the last couple of off seasons and even in season where he's recognized that his defense core hasn't been good enough and he's actively tried to do things about it. Uh, he acquired Jake Muzzin last off or last uh last season which to me is a is a good a good player he he filled a need on that team of a top four defenders um to go alongside morgan riley uh they let tyson berry walk and to me that was probably the right call that was a train wreck from the beginning there was problems there between Barry and ba- and Mike Babcock that just led to that whole thing going off the rails really quickly. And I'll give him some credit. He brought in TJ Brody to replace Tyson Barry. I don't know that TJ Brody is as good as Toronto Maple Leaf media makes him out to be, but he's still a, a reliable defender. And I think Brody over Barry is an upgrade and definitely over Cody CC. I've never been on you know, a major Cody CC fan. He, uh, he's suspect in his own zone. And I think they made the right play walking away from him as well. So Dubas has done some good things in recognizing his back end isn't good enough. And I'll give him credit for attempting to address that. And we shall see if it works out or not. Yeah. I, I think, uh, the top two pairings, I mean, you're gonna be looking at Muzzin, Riley, Brody, and maybe Dermot or Bogosian. Uh, but they got a couple of younger guys in that list there. You got Miko Lettinen, who's on a on a loan over in Euro- uh, Europe right now. Uh, Rasmus Sandin, he's only 20. So you're you're really hoping for some of these other guys to step up and and cover off in that bottom pairing. The one thing I'm gonna ask here, like just looking at the, what the future holds, because we have an expansion draft coming up at the end of, or we're essentially a, a season away from it now. Of the big four, only Tavares has a no movement clause through the entirety of his contract. Austin Matthews, his doesn't kick in until the final year in 23-24. Uh, Nylander, sorry, Marner has his in the final two years, so 23-24 and then 24-25. And again, uh, Nylander has his modified no trade in 23-24. Any of those three get left exposed in the expansion draft depending on what the Toronto Maple Leafs do next off season or even at the deadline if they make any acquisitions this year and what their cap space looks like I think for cap purposes you might see someone like William Nylander left unprotected I know they've been actively trying to trade him for the last I guess year you could say because of his contract So is it possible that the expansion draft may just be that reason that a guy like William Nylander does get left exposed? You'd have to believe he's the guy who would get taken. That could be one way for them to get out of their cap crunch. Um, I definitely don't see any of Matthews, Marner, or Tavares being left exposed. There's just no, in my opinion, no chance of that. Tavares has to be protected because he has the... Yeah, right, sorry. And and a lot of their defense, Bogosian, uh, Justin Hall, TJ Brody... Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, they all have either no movement clauses or modified no trade. I mean, Bogosian will be off the book, so it won't matter. Take his name off of that list. But those are all guys you have to protect if Seattle isn't is part of that no trade clause. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in goal, they got Jack Campbell as a backup. They got uh, Frederick Anderson on a, the last year of his deal. Uh, so, you know, for Anderson's sake, if he puts up a, a good year, uh, he's going to want to get paid again. 
And he's at I'm five. not convinced the I'm not convinced the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to rely on Freddie Anderson going forward. Uh, there's already been rumors this off season that they were looking at trading him. Let's face it. He hasn't necessarily played very well in the playoffs. And that's where this team struggles the most is in the playoffs. Um, I, I personally believe that they will try to move on from Freddie Anderson after this season, if all goes the same as it always has, and they end up, you know, potentially losing out in the first round of the playoffs. So I think next off season, they will be in the goalie market. So just doing some quick math here, looking at what the goalie market was this off season, they're going to have a bit more, they're probably have a round with Anderson's contract coming off the books, probably around 14, 15, potentially depending on other moves they do during the season. A lot of people to sign and that's, still spreading that pretty thin so is there another goalie that can come in and do the job at five million or less that is going to be any better within their organization currently i would say no that would definitely have to be an outside source um it it could very well just depend on what is available in next year's off-season goalie market you know there there may not be any better options and and the leafs then do circle back to freddie anderson or say he does have a very good playoffs this this season. Well, then they may just want to naturally sign him anyways. But I'm I'm not convinced. But I I do think they they might go in a different direction. Okay, so kind of to wrap up our thoughts on the Maple Leafs here. What's your prediction for their for their season? Well, I think it depends on what type of season we do have. If there's the rumors of the all Canadian division, then I would believe that the Leafs would probably finish near the top of that division. I believe they'd be right there with probably Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, maybe Montreal. I think one of those five teams would be near the top of that division. On paper, Toronto looks like they might be the best team in that division. But again, that's just on paper. If they're back in their regular division, at any point next year with Tampa and Boston, then it's going to be another third place finish and quite possibly out in the first or second round again when they have to play Tampa Bay or Boston. Because in my opinion, they're not as good as either of those teams and therefore would probably be out in the first round. Um, in the Canadian division, if it's going to be a Canadian playoffs, maybe they get out of the first round. That would be tough to see depending on the matchup they get. Yeah, I... I... I see them when you're talking top eight, making the playoffs there fifth, sixth. I don't think they're going to get a home ice advantage come playoffs. I do think they'll make it, but I, again, I think they, I don't think they've put them in a position themselves in a position to get past the first round again. I, I, I think they'll be in, but they'll be eliminated first round. The Toronto Maple Leafs are fragile and we know that we saw it in the return to play action this year. We've seen it in all their series with the Boston Bruins over the previous years. It's a fragile group. And did these acquisitions of leadership and character, are they going to make a difference? Maybe. But again, we're not going to know that until playoff time. And we shall see if the proof is in the pudding for Kyle Dubas with these moves at playoff time. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, if they would have held on to Andreas Johnson and Kasperi Kapanen, you know, I, I think I may have had a sung a bit of a different tune on that. I think just the the character moves and leadership, like you mentioned. I don't. I'm not knocking those players. Those are players that have proven they can play. They, they, you know. I just think the game is too fast for them right now, and I, I think it's gonna come back to hurt the Leafs 
in the end. And I would say, especially if they have to face Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is, is fast. And I just don't feel like the Leafs stack up well against Tampa Bay at all. I actually think they're in a, a worse spot than they were, let's say, last couple of postseasons, specifically to go up against Tampa Bay. Boston, on the other hand, they might be in a better position to compete with them because I don't think Boston plays quite as, as fast of a style. But again, we shall see. Um, Leafs fans, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, reach out to us on Twitter at the BleacherCon1 and at the BleacherCon2. Let us know what you think. Are we way off base? Are we? Uh, do you agree with us? Do you disagree? Do you think they're going to win the Stanley Cup? Let us know. We definitely want to hear from you. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how it all plays out once we figure out when we are going to have a season here. So, And it kind of takes us into our next area where – you know, kind of figured it would be a, a good idea to maybe talk about a rival of Toronto here, and that's the Boston Bruins. Uh, Boston is a team that uh, I have certain thoughts about, but they're they're all they've always been a, a good team, a hard team to play against. Um, they have had very talented players throughout the years. Uh, they always seem to get better or stay the same. There hasn't always been too much dip in their in their play. They're always at the top of the East year in, year out. So um, what are your thoughts for going into the 2021 season, Trev? Kind of as you just mentioned, Ken, the Boston Bruins over the last, I'm going to say, decade have been almost a model franchise. Um, they've been competitive almost every year. They've won Stanley Cups in 2011. They've been right there numerous other times. You know, Under the head coach, Bruce Cassidy, is, in my opinion, one of the better coaches in the NHL. Uh, he has his team play the right way. They're hard to play against in all three zones. Their back-checking is some of the best in the NHL. Their ability to score, they have one of the best lines in the NHL. And I think it starts at the very top. Don Sweeney, the general manager, in my opinion, is also one of the best in the NHL. He always he always seems to be able to field a, a very competitive team year after year. He, for the most part, gets all of his guys, you know, re-upped and signed. Um, he was able to get Tory Krug a few years back to take a bridge deal. Unfortunately, that led him to lead leave this offseason, but he he did what he had to do to keep this team competitive and a contender and they just they play the game the right way. Yeah, it's uh they're they're talented. I, I the Tory Krug one that I think that's gonna hurt with him leaving. He's a good defenseman. That that like you say that bridge contract did it actually you know help him out. Right now, you know the one kind of thing I was looking at is how do they do, especially looking at with what the Toronto Maple Leafs brought in. Uh, you know, getting a little bit older so far, and I will put an asterisk on this because we don't know what Char is doing. Uh, the Boston Bruins stayed the same age. They're, they were 28 average age last season going into the next season. They're staying right there at 28. Um, they're not getting older, unfortunately. Uh, they are still, the makeup of their team is still pretty much the same. They, they've got Krejci, Bergeron, Charlie Coyle. You know, they brought in, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Andre Cass, Casse. Um, Tosh, yeah. Tosh, yeah. Yeah, they brought him in at the deadline last year, which was, I think, was a, a very, very good move. Yeah, a lot of teams were looking at him, and they they managed to scoop him up, got Bacchus off their uh, off their books as well. Um, part of the thing for me when I look at it, I think they haven't necessarily addressed that uh, 
Krug departure on defense right now. So looking at the Bruins, I think looking at a place where they may have actually to this point, because there's still time to make a trade, sign someone else or a couple of guys to make up for that. Their defense has maybe taken a bit of a hit. Um, they still got Jake DeBrusque to get in on a, on a new deal. He's an RFA. So could see an arbitration decision on that, but they're just, they're a solid team. They, they're, their core guys are signed up for a while. Um, you know, Krejci's going in in the last year of his deal. The big question mark for myself with the Bruins right now is what is the offseason surgeries for Pasternak and Marchand going to do to this team? Is this going to be a down year for them because both Pasternak and Marchand will, won't be ready to start doing anything from their surgeries? Uh, Marchand was a sports hernia, so I write in his in his core and uh, Pasternak's surgery slipped my mind right now both those guys can't do anything it's not a surgery where they can continue to do some off, off ice work while they recover it's a pretty much you've had surgery you can't do anything for the next four or five months and once they're ready to go they're going to be coming into the season cold so is that going to put a risk for re-injury or just making it that much harder for them to get into the into the season well and another point towards those injuries is next year is quite possibly going to be a reduced schedule as well as a very compact schedule so if you're having to play three games and four nights quite regularly does that mean like you just said is there a risk of re-injuring is that a lot higher or is there going to be a lot of games where they have to sit out because of how condensed the schedule is. And if you're looking at them not getting back into the lineup, say it's they missed the first 10 games of the season, well, that could possibly be upward of 20 to 30% of the season right there where you're missing two of your best players for a significant chunk of the season. And in a condensed schedule, if they do have to miss games, you know, the third and fourth nights, how many games are you going to get out of these guys next year? Yeah, that's a it's, it's a big question because right now you look at like they still have good talent in the forward area, but the added pressure on Krejci and Bergeron to produce, what is that going to do to their workload, right? Bergeron's missed time before. He's 35 now, Krejci's 34. They are they are the senior members of that team. The rest of the team is mid 20s. They might be able to handle the fast and furious schedule that could be coming to us even if it is an 82 game season because i think at some point the nhl is going to want to get back into the regular timing of the season so they're going to have to find ways to cut back on that offensively well go ahead i was going to say for the additions that they've had this year craig smith to me is a tremendous addition you've got a guy who he's an under the radar potential 20 to 30 goal scorer and could he potentially fill the void playing alongside Bergeron of you know Pasternak or Marchand in the short term yeah I actually think he he could fit quite nicely there so that to me is has been a a significant addition it might have been one of the steals of the NHL offseason and so I think that the blow might be lessened there a little bit but let's face it without Marchand and and Pasternak in the lineup, the Bruins just aren't as good. They, they, they are deep on forward. 
they roll, you know, three good lines all day, every game. So I think they'll be able to get by there, but they're just not going to be as good while those two are out of the lineup. No, like you're, you're right. They're deep enough and good enough that their top guys being out of the lineup for potentially an extended period of time is not as detrimental as it is to others. Like you're looking at a top six that's going to be Krejci, Bergeron. You're probably going to split those guys up. So you got line one for, say, Bergeron, Krejci on line two, and then you start inserting Charlie Coyle, Craig Smith, Cache, Nick Ritchie, Jake DeBrusque. You have people that you can fit in to make a still solid top six. Not a lot of teams there have are, that luxury. There are a lot of good forwards on this team. And when, when healthy, this is probably one of the, the best forward groups in the NHL. They're, they're a powerhouse juggernaut with that forward group. And I, I do think they can stem the tide for a, a bit of time and still remain in the hunt within their division to be near the top of it, no matter what, even without those two in the lineup. And, and even looking at their financial situation when it comes to the cap, that with their forwards, with uh, Pasternak and Marchand out, it's $33 million. You put them back in, it's still only forty-five. They're still $8 million shy of the Maple Leafs forwards, but they are so much deeper when it comes to being able to field the lineup. Don Sweeney has done a tremendous job when it comes to the re-signing of his players and getting guys like Patrice Bergeron to sign for under $7 million. That's a steal. And getting Pasternak for under $7 million, that, that's the best contract in hockey. And Brad Marchand for almost for closer to $6 million. Like these are top end superstars signed for less than $7 million. Yeah. That, that is just amazing general manager work. These guys hit the open market right now. They're all getting nine, eight or nine, easy. You know, like oh, you especially, especially the two injured guys. Oh yeah. Marshawn's at 6.125, 6.666 for Pasternak. Like these are, you just don't see that. This is a team that, and players that have said, Hey, we want to win. We'll make the money over the term of our career. But I think that's the difference between the Bruins and the Maple Leafs is you've got four top end players on the Bruins who have said, we can't win if we're making all the money. Yep. And I'm assuming this, I'm not, I have no inside information. I'm just looking at the numbers and going, these guys made a, a decision to take less for good term. Pasternak's under contract until 22, 23. Marshawn's under contract till 24, 25. is the highest paid one. His deal's up at the end of the next season. And Bergeron, you got for two more years. But these are all guys that decided we're going to stick together and we're going to win. So it, it kind of shows in the results that they put forward on the ice year after year. They're always a top team. They were the president's trophy winners this year, you know, which again, I kind of obviously with COVID things changed and you can't have four, the four top teams in each conference sitting twiddling their thumbs while the remaining teams play off in a qualifying round. But I really did honestly think it was unfair to the Bruins that they weren't the number one seed in the East. They were the only hundred point team in the season. And I think they kind of, they kind of got hosed a little bit. Yeah. 
I think you brought up a really good point in talking about the contracts and I get to do a direct comparison of the top three players on the Boston Bruins in Bergeron, Marchand and Pasternak are making what roughly $20 million. And you got the top three players on the Maple Leafs in Nylander, Tavares and Matthews making roughly $33 million. To me, it's no question that the guys on the Bruins, I would take those guys 100 times out of 100 over the three guys from the Leafs, and they cost $13 million less. Well, I think you missed Marner in there for the Leafs. If you add him, yeah, sorry, yeah. that's $40 million on four players. You just mentioned three at essentially half that price. Now, you could make throw Krejci in there and make it four and four in comparison, but it's still 27 to 40. Yeah, it, and I would definitely take the Bruins players. They're all winners. 100 times out of 100. Yeah, they've all won. They know what it takes, yep. and it shows. They, we don't know what's going to happen with their possibly, potentially, former captain, Zdeno Char, whether he's eyeing retirement, eyeing one more year. He's 43. He's even older than, than Thornton is. Do the Bruins bring him back on a sentimental ride out one more year and retire? I 100% believe that he'll be back with the Bruins. He, at age 43, he still has game, which is shocking to say. He's a difference maker on the ice simply because of his physical presence. And sure, he may not get around the ice as well, but he's still a big part of this team. And he's still a big part of this defense core. And I think because they lost Tory Krug, and they're a little light on the back end. I do believe the Bruins will do whatever it takes to bring back Chara. They are a very young defense without him. Uh, they average 20, almost 25 years old. So that veteran leadership on defense definitely would come in handy. Moving on to the goaltending situation. You got Rask and Halak both on the last year of their deal. Seven mil for Tuka. Your Slavs at 2.25. Now, this, I was reading partially for this, and I had heard a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, that Rask had been asked for his list of teams for his uh, due to his modified no trade. What do you? What's your take on that? I think they were just doing their due diligence. I don't. I don't know if they were a little bit upset that he decided to opt out of the return to play. Again, I'm with any player who decided to opt out. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to bash them at all. That was their decision. I think the Bruins wanted to put some feelers out there to see if there may have been a market, but let's face it. This is a team designed to win the Stanley cup next year. There's Tuka Rask will be in between the pipes. There's no doubt about it beyond this year though, that I think that's a bigger question. Yeah. To me, and it, it happens in pro sports all the time where teams, like you say, throw those feelers out to see what the market is. It was odd because like, oh, he opted in to go into the bubble and play and then had a family emergency come up. Fair enough. Absolutely. You know, family over, over sports. Right. But the team backed him so much in that. And then they throw feelers out about dealing a guy whether it had any kind of correlation to one and the other but it just it it looks odd that you support the guy and then the next thing you're asking if anyone wants to make a deal 
Yeah, and there's behind the scenes stuff that nobody will ever know on any on this, and that could have prompted uh, Don Sweeney to at least put the feelers out. But again, I just Tuka Rask is the Boston Bruins. Like he's their goalie. He's not going anywhere. He's top five in the league. So why would you want to get rid of him? I just, to me, it, it was all. I don't want to say it was fabricated, but I think it was hockey media trying to maybe make something out of what wasn't there because I just don't see a scenario where he's not back with this team next year. And they have one of the best tandems in the NHL with Rask and Halak. So why do anything with that, especially when you, you have the cap room to, to let it ride like this? Yeah, it, it, it was a bit odd. So what is your prediction for the Boston Bruins for next year? Well, my prediction hinges a lot on how long Marchand and, Bur- and uh, Pasternak are out. If they're out longer than what their initial surgery timeline is, then the Bruins are a playoff team, but I don't believe that they're a undoubted contender. I do not like their defense. I think there's major holes on their defense and they might be relying on some young guys like uh, uh, Carlo and Erho Vakanainen to step in and play some premium minutes, especially if Zidane Chara moves on. I'm not convinced either Brandon Carlo or Vakanainen are ready for that type, you know, Carlo more so Um, they're expecting bigger roles out of guys like Jeremy Lausanne and Matt Grelchek, like, their D just isn't as formidable or as it was like that's a major step down from having uh, Chara Kruger or uh, Krug and McAvoy to, you know, McAvoy, Grelchik and Lausanne like that. That's a significant downgrade. Yeah. And I just, they play such a good team game that they'll be able to still be a good team, but they're not as good as they were last year. So the Bruins to me are still a Stanley cup contender when healthy, they may be the best team in the NHL, but I do believe, you know, they're going to have some issues with health next year. They already do. Yeah. And I mean, the big part of that, you've already got like talk about the injuries, Pasternak, Marchand out that we don't know what that's going to look like. The other part is Bergeron staying healthy because over the last, I mean, take last the 2019, 2020 season out. He's averaged about 65 games a season over the last three outside of this past season. Pretty much played them all for him this time. So he's got to stay healthy. He, that, that may be tough with added minutes if the other two are out for an extended period of time. I think they're still going to be a good one of the top teams in the East. Looking at the Eastern Conference, I, I got them finishing third. I don't. They're not going to be the league leaders like they were, but I think that they'll, they'll be third place team. Who do you have ahead of them? Tampa Bay, Tampa for sure. Um, yeah, I think, well, Tampa, possibly the Islanders. I, I, they've been a team that over the last couple of seasons that has impressed me. I, I kind of, my predictions for who was going to be in the cup final was going to be, I had the Islanders going against uh, Vegas or Colorado kind of, those one of those two teams out of the West, but I think the Islanders have an opportunity to take the next step. So, 
But I think they're, to me, they're the not... story. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just I don't see the Bruins finishing first in the East this time around. And I I would agree with that. To me, the story with the Boston Bruins isn't so much the upcoming year. It's the year after that and the next two years. I think this is a team where their window is very quickly going to slam shut. You've got the meat of the core, the guys like Zidane Chara. He may not be back next year. Tuka Rask, their top five goalie, is a UFA after this year. Yaro Halak, their good backup, is a UFA after this year. You've got David Krejci is a UFA after this year. Patrice Bergeron is a UFA after next year. You've got some major names that are coming due on this team. And in looking at their prospect pool, it's not the deepest out there. You know, part of the price, paying the price for being such a good team for so long is they don't have a ton of high-end prospects. Uh, they've got Jack Studnika is probably their, their number one rated prospect who looks like he could be good. Uh, Ur, Urho Vakaninen, who I mentioned, uh, John Beecher is another prospect coming up, but these aren't exactly big names. And to me, the window is, is about to slam shut on the Boston Bruins. And it's going to take some uh, very good GM work by Don Sweeney to avoid this. Yeah. There's definitely going to be some work to be, uh, to keep this team a top team in the East going forward. Well, very much so. It's the, the best, your best players, your top two centers are on the wrong side of 30. They're both right in the, you know, 34, 35. Bergeron's going to be 37 when his deal's up. You know, I've said it numerous times, father time is undefeated. And are these guys going to start to have a slowdown over their, over their last years on their contracts, which also could hinder this team? Like some of their best players are older and going to be moving on soon. And you're still going to have uh, Marchand and, and Pasternak, but Marchand's also 32. So in two more years, is he going to be a, a relied upon 30 to 40 goal man? I just don't know. The yeah. only guarantees I have on this roster moving forward to me are, are, is David Pasternak. Like he's one of the best players in the league and he's young outside of him and, and maybe and Charlie McAvoy, they're starting to become a lot more question marks on this team to me long-term, not next year, maybe even not the year after, but I think the time is coming and I'm sure Leafs, Leaf fans love hearing this. I think the Bruins window is closing and I think there may be a, a, a changing of the guard within that division and a team like Toronto may move ahead of Boston perennially. Yeah, time can't beat time. So, again, Bruins fans, even Leafs fans, you want to chime in on what we thought about uh, the Bruins here, let us know on, our, on social media, Twitter, at the BleacherCon1, and at the BleacherCon2, our Facebook page, uh, the Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor. Now, I want to throw something at you. We didn't discuss this beforehand. I saw this one kind of popping up on Twitter a little bit. They were talking about your favorite sports moment. And I was kind of thinking for myself, and I throw it to you. I was going to change it up to what is your most memorable game that you've been to in your, in your life? The most memorable, memorable game I've attended. Yeah. Uh, I've been to some, uh, some 
real good Calgary Flames games in my time. I was there at game six in 2016, I believe it was, when they might have been 2015, when they eliminated the Vancouver Canucks after going down three game or three nothing in the first period. I was, I believe in 2015, I was in Vancouver as my Calgary Stampeders won the Great Cup. But live sporting event, the probably the greatest memory I've, I've ever had was I was in the building when Jerome McGinley scored his 500th goal against the Minnesota Wild. And the anticipation leading up to that game and every time he touched the puck that game, the crowd went nuts. I've never, never felt that atmosphere before it, where they just so badly wanted a guy to score a goal and being there when it happened, it was amazing. And, and obviously the crowd reaction after he scored, like he got a standing ovation for five minutes and everybody was just going nuts. So, you know, live sporting events, that's got to be right at the top or right near the top for me uh, of, of games that I've attended. Yeah. I think there's, there's a four that kind of really come to the top of my head when I was thinking about it, when I, you know, when I thought about bringing this up, you know, you and I went to the heritage classic in, in Calgary, it was Calgary Flames versus the Montreal Canadiens. I didn't have a, a horse in that race, but it was enjoyable to be there. It was fun. We froze. We froze our asses off. But it what was it seven hours in minus what felt like a hundred degree weather. Man, but it was something to be there. That was fun. I enjoyed that one. Another honorable mention. Um, I was at the Sedin's final game here in Edmonton as a as a fan to be able to see two icons for your team play their final game that was pretty impressive but I think that the two that that are tied for me as the most memorable games I've been to 2011 game five against the San Jose Sharks uh Kevin Bieksa with the rocket top corner as he would tell everyone uh in overtime to win the game Senate Canucks to the Stanley Cup that goal happened right below but I think part of it was I was with my dad my dad and I were at that game it was just so awesome to be in that uh, environment. You know, I was a little bit older at that time, but the big one for me that like my one a would be 94 Stanley cup. I believe it was game four. Canucks didn't win, but again, my dad took me to that game and it was just, I was 13 and to be at the Stanley cup in a, in a smaller arena, Pacific Coliseum, it, it wasn't one that was a big arena. Just absolutely awesome. Those are two of my, my, best sports memories of being like going to a game just uh a lot of fun so i i do believe you're slightly misremembering the kevin bxa goal though uh i do believe it was a <laughs> ring around off the glass that took a crazy bounce and he miraculously shot a flutter puck from the point that may have bounced seven or eight times hey, along I did, the way <laughs> i did say as he would describe i didn't say that's oh. how i described it but I think, you know, as Kevin B actually gets on and uh, tells that story to his to his kids and grandkids as he gets older, it, it may be that top shelf rifle that uh, from the point, but just a great game. That was just fun to be at. You mentioned the Heritage Classic. Uh, I had the honor of actually getting to go to the 2019 
Heritage Classic in Regina last, it was actually a year ago, might've been today, a year ago tomorrow, where I got to go to that game. And that again was right up there as all time moments, you know, inside a building with 35,000 freezing fans, screaming, the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, we had the same at McMahon Stadium in Calgary when we went again, just the atmospheres of those games is, is unbelievable. People don't care that it's minus 30 outside. It's, it, it takes you back to a kid, you know, playing pond hockey and is sitting in cold arenas and all that stuff. So I, I, the heritage classics, both of them to me are right there on, on my lists. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Uh, if you guys have your own thoughts on those type of memories, Again, let us know. Just want to thank uh, thank everyone for listening on the Unhinged Network, Unhinged Sports Network. Again, let us know your thoughts, comments on the show, what you'd like to hear at the BleacherCon One, at the BleacherCon Two, on Twitter, Facebook, the Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everyone.